Morning, everyone. It's lovely to be up here, open up God's Word to us this morning. If you're new and visiting, my name's Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, you're our guest. If you are new and visiting, we'd love to meet you, so please make yourself known. Uh, what you might not realize if you're joining us for the first time, we're up to week 12 in a series called Drawn Out to Draw In, uh, as you can see behind us, on the book of Exodus. And for the Jesus community, this story is so important because it's our history. It's really the story of our ancestors in the faith, taken from darkness and death in slavery through to relationship with God. And it really pictures what God has done in the life of every Christian, taking us from that place of darkness spiritually through to new life and, and joy in Christ. It's really a picture of our story. And we're going to need God's help before I open up God's Word together for us. So when I pray and invite the Holy Spirit to really help us as we read God's Word together, um, when I pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for the beautiful gift of your word. A living, breathing, active word. I want to thank you this morning that you use weak, needy people to preach your word. And Lord, I just pray you'd help me this morning. Give me grace to magnify Jesus. I just pray for each and every person sitting here this morning, this Sunday. I just pray regardless of our weeks, regardless of what is tempting us to be distracted, that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would speak to us words of encouragement and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the second book of the Bible, right at the very start, Exodus chapter 7, and um, I'm going to read, and then we're going to get stuck into preaching God's Word. So here's the Word of the Lord for us this morning, church. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old 
when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded them. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Well, church, Christmas is just over seven weeks away, and really for us as a church, uh, we see opportunity, opportunity to be on mission. And so I really believe that it's the kindness of the Lord to bring this specific text for us this morning uh, to look at as we open up God's Word together on this Exodus series. It's an opportunity for mission, and yet despite the many opportunities at Christmas, it's still, when it comes to mission, so easy to be discouraged. You've been praying for your spouse for 20 years to come to know Christ. And still no sign of change. Your friend, your close friend, who once called themselves a Christian and now has walked away from Christ. You've been meeting with your neighbor, but yet again, you can't find the courage to talk about Jesus. You've been telling your colleague about Jesus for years, and lo and behold, they're still not interested. You know, when it comes to mission, it's easy to be discouraged. You know, even me reflecting on this year, you know, we'd had these hopes that we'd be able to start a service in Waitara to really preach the gospel to people living in Waitara, the neighborhood that Charlotte and I just love and care about so much. And I was discouraged when door after door after door seemed to be closing on that opportunity. You know, there's a couple uh, from our church who we met through the jogging club, who we've been befriending and reaching out to for multiple years and sharing Christ with, and they've displayed some interest in following Jesus, and yet years on, still they haven't come to receive Christ. I don't know if any of these stories are resonating with your experience, but I want to put to a church this morning that it's easy to be discouraged when it comes to being on mission, and yet I believe God is out to encourage us this morning from His Word. Uh, the title, if you're a note taker this morning, is They Shall Know Him. And really, I've got three points this morning, three simple points that come from the passage, but one real heart of this message, one real hope for us, and that is that 
in the lead up to Christmas, I, I, I really believe that God wants to encourage us with this one truth. And that is this, that God's plan to display His glory to the nations is unstoppable. God's plan to display His glory to all nations is absolutely unstoppable. It cannot be stopped. That's my hope for us this morning. Well, let's dive right into my first point for us this morning, and that is a representative chosen. Point number one, a representative chosen. Just by way of context uh, to catch us up again where where we're up to in this series, uh, God's people had found themselves enslaved and oppressed in a foreign land by a cruel regime for more than 400 years. I mean, for us, think back like 1618, that would, would place us 400 years ago. And God raised up his leader, Moses, and, and really reveals in the story that every detail in this man Moses' life has been orchestrated by God. From being raised in Pharaoh's house through to a failed military coup he tried to lead through to exile in Midian, God has been sovereignly orchestrating everything. He appears to Moses in the wilderness and commissions him to lead his people out of Egypt. And with great reluctance, I mean with great reluctance, excuse after excuse, Moses finally obeys, takes Aaron and his family, returns to Egypt, and to Pharaoh, asks Pharaoh to let his people go. And it doesn't go well for him. Uh, Back in chapter 5, we heard Pharaoh say the following. He says this, uh, it says this, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know, Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Not a promising start for Aaron and Moses. And Pharaoh, in response, makes their conditions worse. His aim is to cause resentment towards Aaron and Moses, and he kind of achieves it. In chapter 6, God reaffirms his promise to Moses that he's going to deliver them, and, and Moses reports it to the people, and the people don't listen to him and don't believe him because... Of their suffering. It says, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. God then commands Moses to go back to Pharaoh and to tell him again to let Israel go. Now, Moses is clearly not convinced that this will be an effective strategy. Israel hasn't listened to him, and what chance does he have with Pharaoh? And so our passage continues. Why don't you turn with me? To chapter 7, verse 1. And we're going to read that very first verse. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. I have made you like God to Pharaoh. God says to Moses, Actually, In the original language, what God says is even stronger than that. Although the meaning is the same, the original language doesn't have the word like in there. No, literally what God says to Moses is, I have made you God to Pharaoh. And just like God's have spokespeople or prophets... Aaron will be Moses' prophet. 
well, what does God mean by this? Is he, is he saying that Moses is divine? Well, to really understand what God is talking about, we need to kind of understand Egyptian beliefs about their kings at the time. Peter ends in his commentary, he says the following, he says, In Egyptian royal ideology, the Pharaoh was considered to be a divine being. So by calling Moses God, Yahweh is beating Pharaoh at his own game. It is not the king of Egypt who is God, rather it is this shepherd and leader of slaves who is God. And this Moses God defeats Pharaoh in a manner that leaves no doubt as to the true nature and source of his power. Moses is not simply like God to Pharaoh, he is, truly is God to Pharaoh in that God is acting through Moses. To a cruel king that didn't know God and claimed to be God, Moses will reveal God. Moses, you will be God to Pharaoh. You will speak my words to him and my power will be displayed through your hand. You will be my representative. It's a picture of this kind of intimate relationship between Moses and Yahweh that when Pharaoh sees Moses he will see Yahweh. Now at this point, it's easy to think that somehow Moses is a kind of special category of person, a kind of superhero in a separate league to you and me. God speaks to him regularly. I mean, later on in the book, uh, in chapter 19, we'll see on Mount Sinai, God speaks to Moses, gives him the Ten Commandments. He speaks to him in chapter 33 face-to-face as a friend. In chapter 34, his face is shining from the glory of God. It's this intimate, close relationship between Moses and Yahweh. Last week, we saw some of the skeletons in his family closet, and we've seen some of his personal challenges, but it's still easy to think of Moses as kind of this phenomenon. The truth is that Moses is a picture, albeit dim, of God's intention for all of mankind, including you and me. And that is to be his representatives. See, our God is the creator of the universe who made all people to bear his image and walk in intimate relationship with him. In the garden, God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. Had you met the first people on that day, there would have been no doubt as to the glory of God on display. Humanity dwelt in unity with God our maker, speaking face to face as a friend. And yet we rejected his friendship and we turned from his rule and we endured the curse and the corruption that fell upon us as a result, cutting us off from that close and intimate relationship we once enjoyed And the debt of our rebellion now standing, hanging over our heads. And Moses comes and he represents the light of the glory of God, shining into the darkness of a satanic, cruel empire. And in doing so, points like a mirror dimly lit to Jesus, the true representative of God. You know, Colossians 1.15 says, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. 
You see, Moses was an imperfect picture of God to Pharaoh, and yet Christ is the perfect picture to the whole world. God the Son, who perfectly embodied God's plan for humanity in His life, death, and resurrection, who is reconciling mankind once more to God. And through faith, we are new creations, spiritual new life and intimacy with God, now belonging to us because of Christ. You see, God's plan to display His glory to the nations is unstoppable. He chose Moses to display His glory to Pharaoh, and He's chosen us as followers of Jesus to display His glory in our communities as well. You know, in the lead up to Christmas, I believe that God wants to remind every follower of Jesus here that He's called us to represent Him in every area of our lives. You know, Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ, His representatives, to represent Him to our families and our friends, to our colleagues and the other parents at school, to represent Him to students in your class, to neighbors to the friends that you play sport with. You know, God hasn't chosen me or any of the other guys on the pastoral team to reach these people, or He would have placed us there. But He's chosen you. And the question I want us to consider this morning is this. How are we going in living as Christ's representatives? How are we going in our love and affection for our King? What do people see when they look at our lives? Can people see our love and affection for Christ? Can they see Christ's representative? Do they look at us and See Christ? Well, here's some wonderful news, church, for us this morning. Just like Moses was chosen to represent God to Pharaoh, he's chosen us to represent him in our communities. And we don't need to worry about our failures because God's plan to display his glory to the nations is unstoppable. You know, you might be sitting here this morning and considering this call to be a representative and just feeling overwhelmed by the task at hand, feeling like a failure in it. Well, welcome to Moses, a man filled with failures and reluctance to step forward, and yet it was no obstacle to the glory of God being manifest in his life. God's unlikely choice of Moses to represent himself to Pharaoh is a picture of his plan for all people. He's chosen us to display his glory to the nations. Well, that's point number one, a representative chosen, but not just point number one. Point number two, a plan hidden. Now, our passage kind of functions as a prologue to the ten plagues, or in Jewish tradition, the ten strikes that will follow. And Riley and Dave are going to be preaching on those in the next couple of weeks. And God reveals to Moses that he has this hidden plan in and behind those plagues, those strikes that are going to come. Why don't you read with me, uh, read on in our passage, verse 2. God says, You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron. 
shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Speak the words that I tell you, says God to Moses, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. You know, this expression, hardening Pharaoh's heart, it actually comes up in the next few chapters and in the chapters prior, 19 times in the Exodus. 19 times this phrase of hardening Pharaoh's heart or Pharaoh's heart being hardened comes up and it begs the question, is Pharaoh just like a puppet for Yahweh? Like, does God simply force him not to comply and to cause all of this pain? Does he make Pharaoh disobey? Well, the answer is absolutely not. A couple of quick points on this. You know, even well before Moses comes on the scene, Pharaoh is already guilty and deserving of judgment for the harsh slavery, for the cruel punishment, for the murder of children, for defiance against God. Secondly, it's not just that Pharaoh is already guilty and deserving of punishment, but the words heart and harden, they don't mean what we actually probably think they mean. First of all, the word heart for us in our Western culture, it kind of means feelings, right? So if I say, I heart you, I mean like I love you, right? Um, If I say, you're someone close to my heart, I mean, again, I say, I feel like we're really close and I kind of, you know, I really care about you, um, you're important to me. That's not what it meant in ancient Hebrew culture. You know, in, in ancient Hebrew culture, it meant something really different. To our ears, this idea of hardening someone's heart, it kind of sounds like making them cruel, right? Because if someone's hard-hearted, they're a cruel person, right? But that's actually not what it means. You see, the word heart in ancient Hebrew, it, it's actually more about the inner you. It's more closer to like your mind or your will. It's, it's the voice speaking back to you when you look in the mirror. It's the inner you. And that word harden, that's translated harden most often in our version of the Bible, it's actually three different words. Uh, the first one is actually, it means harden, like what we see written today. Um, there's another word, it's like kind of make heavy that's used. But the most common word that's used in that expression, harden heart, actually means to strengthen. So the most common expression and probably the best way to understand this expression is rather than to harden his heart is to strengthen his will. You see, God doesn't change Pharaoh's will. He actually strengthens it. He strengthens his resolve. T.D. Alexander, in his excellent commentary, writes on this the following. He says, The strengthening of Pharaoh's heart is not about making him act contrary to his own will. Rather, it is the reverse. It is about giving him the boldness or courage to do what he most desires. And that's what we see time and time again. God gives Pharaoh the courage to do what he already wants to do. Pharaoh doesn't want to let the people of Israel go. When pressure is applied, at best for a moment, he'll concede, but soon as the pressure is remit, what does he do? Goes straight back to not letting them go at all. But God gives him the courage to keep on defying him, 
Why? I mean, why would God do that? Why would he harden the heart of Pharaoh? Why would he strengthen his will to defy him? And this is where we begin to see the hidden plan. Why don't you read on with me? Read that verse 3 again. It says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Though I multiply my signs and wonders, it says. Though I multiply my signs, the word means kind of something miraculous that points to a truth, like I guess like a signpost or something like that but something miraculous. And in these instances, it's going to be that Yahweh is all-powerful. Wonders. This word takes on kind of this sense of warning or danger. It's probably closer to the word in English that means like omens, a foreboding foreboding sign. And what's the result of multiplying signs and omens or wonders? The result is that he will strike Egypt and he will bring out his children. How? By great acts of of judgment. You see, Yahweh intends to give Pharaoh courage to defy his commands so that he will be able to multiply his signs and warnings and bring his people out by great acts of judgment. But why? Why would God want to multiply signs and use great acts of judgment against Egypt? And we see the glorious answer in the following verse. Verse 5 Yahweh says, he says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Did you see it? You know, Pharaoh had previously said that he didn't know Yahweh and wouldn't listen to him. And for the first time, God reveals his plan is bigger than just Pharaoh. You know, God had called Moses to preach to Pharaoh, but his plan was not to save Pharaoh. He wants all of Egypt to know who he is. To know that he is Yahweh. He is strengthening Pharaoh's will to enable him to reveal himself and his glory to all of the Egyptians. There is this hidden plan at work in the midst of Pharaoh's resistance and the coming plagues. God is at work to magnify his glory among the nations. And he succeeds, church, because God's plan to display his glory to the nations is unstoppable. You know, in a couple of chapters' time, uh, in Exodus 9, uh, verse 16, uh, God says this to Pharaoh. He says, But for this purpose, I have raised you, Pharaoh, to raise you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is why I created you, Pharaoh, to proclaim my name, not just to you, not just to Egypt, but to the whole earth. In Exodus 12, verse 38, uh, it writes that they departed Egypt in the Exodus with a mixed multitude. You see, it wasn't just Israelites who left. Other nations came along with them. In Joshua 2.10, when we meet Rahab, the, the prostitute in Jericho, 
she says that she's heard the report of all Yahweh has done. Further on in Joshua chapter 9, verse 9, the Gibeonites who decide to trick uh, Israel so they'll relent say that we have heard all that Yahweh did in Egypt. You see, God's plan is to display His glory to the nations and church. That plan is unstoppable. All the details of Moses' life up to this point, all the details of Pharaoh's response and his hardening of heart are all part of a plan hidden but now revealed to display God's glory to the nations. But here's the beautiful news. The same God who worked a hidden plan to display His glory through Moses is at work right now and His plan is unstoppable. It was a hidden plan of glory that no one saw clearly. That God would come as man to suffer and die. That on the cross He would win victory over sin and death and to now promise that the fullness of His glory is coming. You know, there's so many passages we could pick to look at this promise, but I'll just pick one, one of my favorites from Philippians 2.9. Paul writes, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, we know that glory is coming. That Christ will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He's King. And yet, there are parts of His plan that remain hidden. He saved us. He's called us to be ambassadors. But who else will He call? It's hidden. We know that Christ is coming and He will take the throne and glory will fill the earth. But when will He come? And how long will we have to wait? It's hidden. But here's the good news. Parts of the plan may be hidden from us, but the glory is unstoppable. Moses was called to preach to a man who wouldn't listen. And what was the result? He magnified his glory to all of Egypt. I want to ask you a question. Do you sometimes feel like you've picked the wrong team in being a Christian? You know, like as laws change that move further and further away from Christian values, like the meaning of marriage and euthanasia, 
or even things like abortion. You know, I was reading just the other week in the paper that in Queensland, they've changed the law now to allow a full-term baby to be aborted if it's found to have Down syndrome. As our culture moves further and further away from Christian values, do you begin to feel like you've picked the wrong team? And as your views as a Christian become increasingly mocked in your office, as more and more people of Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim belief move into your neighborhood, as old friends who used to follow Christ seem increasingly pulled into the world or just completely walk away, do you sometimes feel like you've picked the wrong team? Well, let me encourage you. Despite the appearance of struggle, God used Pharaoh's resistance to magnify his glory. In the same way, nothing, friends, nothing can stop God from achieving his plan to magnify his glory, not just in this community, but in the whole earth, because his glory is unstoppable. He will save all his chosen, not just here in Hornsby, but in the whole earth. He's coming again soon and every knee will bow and all creation will see his glory. You know, friends, people may not respond to our preaching, but that will not stop God from achieving his plan to magnify his glory. Well, that's my second point, a hidden plan. But not just that point, a plan hidden, but point number three, a sign ignored. Why don't you read with me the next two verses, verse six and seven. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron were obedient to God. The way it's written, it's emphatic. They did exactly as they were told. And then Moses kind of pauses to note their ages. They were 80 and 83. You know, you might be wondering what the significance of that is, but it's hugely significant in light of a psalm that I guess we can guess that Moses wrote earlier. Psalm 90, verse 10, this is Moses writing. He says the following, he says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. You know, Moses wants to remind us that he expected to be dead by now. I think that's wonderful news for anyone here who feels too old to be used by God. Let's read on verses 8 and 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. The Lord who sees the events of the future knows already that Pharaoh is going to respond by a request for proof that Moses is really from Yahweh. He's going to ask them to work a miracle, to show him a wonder or an omen, to give him some sort of miraculous warning. And so God says, all right, I want you to take your staff 
I want you to throw it down. It's going to become a snake, or that word kind of just means a large reptile. So it could be a snake, it could be a crocodile, something like that. And, and so we read on the story. Verse 10, it's a large reptile. Verse 10, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and the magicians, and they, the magicians of Egypt, did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. The story unfolds as predicted. A snake or a crocodile comes to life, and Pharaoh calls for two types of people. He calls for wise men and sorcerers. Sorcerers, that's people who are practicing magic of the occult. They're described as the magicians of Egypt, which means a soothsayer or like a a fortune-telling priest. Uh, It's the same word used to describe the magicians who are unable to help interpret Pharaoh's dream back in Genesis 49. They're able to replicate something that kind of appears similar by their secret arts or enchantments, that is, spells. And the passage seems to imply by the power of the occult. And it points to the reality that Pharaoh represents the epitome of mankind in opposition to Yahweh. He's not just an oppressive and cruel leader, but it's mixed in with forces of evil. But the most significant part of the sign, the omen, the warning, is the very last part. And that is that Aaron's staff, the staff of God, swallows up their staffs. Well, what does this sign from Yahweh mean? It means three things. Firstly, it's a sign of his power. Notice there's no spells or enchantments or anything like that. It's simply thrown on the ground. It becomes a beast. It's raw power. Secondly, it's not just a sign of his power. It's a warning sign. It says, don't mess with Yahweh. Aaron's hand that throws the staff to the ground points to God's intention to repeatedly strike Egypt should Pharaoh not listen. But it's not just a sign of his power and it's not just a warning sign. It's a sign of things to come. You see, that word swallowed up is used only once more in the whole book of Exodus. And it's right in chapter 15 when the Reed Sea or the Red Sea swallows up Pharaoh's army. And so the sign says, I will swallow you up if you do not listen. Pharaoh requested a sign and Yahweh delivered. A sign that says resistance is futile, I'm powerful, I'm dangerous, and I will swallow you up if you do not listen. But tragically, verse 13 says, still Pharaoh's hard heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as Yahweh had said. Pharaoh's will was strengthened. He didn't listen. And we know how the story unfolds. 
God will unleash through Moses ten plagues or strikes. And all of this according to the plan of God. But what does it all mean? Well, 1,500 years later, just like Pharaoh, some religious experts would demand a sign to prove that Jesus was truly from God. Matthew 12, verse 39, it says, But he answered them, that's Jesus, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus' reply is that the sign would be his death and resurrection. That is the proof that he was truly sent by God. The proof that God cannot be stopped from displaying his glory to the nations. You know, in 2,000 years on, the empty tomb stands before us as the serpent did for, for Pharaoh, a sign that God has made himself known to us and intends to complete what he began. That life awaits beyond the grave. That Christ is returning one day soon and that his glory will be made known to the nations. It's wonderful news, but... In closing, how do we apply it to us? I just wanted to pause and finish by just addressing two groups of people uh, here with us this morning. What does the sign mean for those who are here, the majority of us, who are followers of Jesus? Well, I think for us it's a reminder. It's a reminder not to forget God's great sign of the empty tomb. It's a reminder to keep going and to not lose hope. To remember that Christ was the first fruits. That's the down payment. That's the first bit that tells you what's going to come. That new life and resurrection and glory awaits us. It's a sign to encourage us and to remind us to be bold and faithful and courageous in the lead up to Christmas. That glory is coming and that glory is unstoppable. But it's not just a sign for followers of Jesus. It's also a sign for those that are yet to follow. And it's a warning that God's plan to display His glory is truly unstoppable. It's a warning not to ignore. It's a warning to learn from the lesson of Pharaoh that God cannot be stopped on His mission, that Jesus Christ is coming and will display His glory. If you're here visiting us this morning, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you, don't put it off. Don't keep demanding signs like Pharaoh. You know, in the end, Pharaoh was consumed and he didn't repent. You know, Jesus Christ welcomes all who come to him asking for for forgiveness and wanting to follow. I just want to implore you, if that's you, if you haven't given yourself to following Christ, come and speak to me. All it takes is to simply ask the Lord 
to be your Savior and King, to repent of your sins and to give yourself to following Him. And there's nothing more that we would love as a community than to help you in that. Well, in closing, though it may be easy to be discouraged on Mission Church, we've seen a representative chosen, that God's unlikely choice of Moses to represent Himself to Pharaoh is a picture of His plan for all His people. He's chosen us to display His glory to the nations, a plan hidden that despite the appearance of struggle, God used Pharaoh's resistance to magnify His glory. And in the same way, nothing can stop God from achieving His plan to magnify His glory to the nations. And a sign ignored that just as Pharaoh demanded a sign from Moses, so too did the Pharisees of Jesus, a sign which they both ignored. And just as Moses provided a sign, so too did Christ in the empty tomb, a sign that death is defeated and glory is coming. Well, in the lead up to Christmas, I've trust, I trust that you guys have seen, and that we've all seen, that God's plan to display His glory to the nations is unstoppable. Won't you pray with me as the band comes up? Lord Jesus, how sweet it is to know that you know us in intimate detail. You know our weaknesses, that you know our struggles, that you know our failures and frustrations, how we try to be faithful to you and your mission, and yet we fail and fail again. Yet, So sweet it is, how sweet it is to know again this morning that despite our weaknesses and failures, your glory is unstoppable. That we have a high and holy calling to be ambassadors for you, to represent Christ to our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors. That you have a hidden plan of unstoppable glory that we can step forward around Christmas in sharing Christ with people that don't know Him, full of confident hope, that despite the outcome of our sharing, Christ will return and His glorious plan will be completed. Thank you for reassuring us that your plan is unstoppable with a beautiful sign of an empty tomb. Well, this morning we want to remember the empty tomb. We want to remember that Christ is risen, that He's coming again. And we want to let that hope motivate us to be faithful. To be joy-filled servants of you who step out in faith and take risks for Christ and share with people that beautiful message of salvation in nothing but the name of Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.